0: Hello and welcome to Kissa, a story podcast. I'm your host, Javara. If you like this episode, and of course, if you've enjoyed listening to the other episodes of this podcast, please rate Kissa a story podcast wherever you listen to it. It really helps with the mysterious, baffling algorithms. Also, if you like it, please tell others about the story podcast. Listeners, we are not alone. We've never been alone. We never are alone. There are others among us with whom we share our human world. Sometimes the curtain between our world and theirs flutters and lifts slightly and we can see them. They can always see us, however. Remember this. Let's stand by this translucent boundary between our worlds and see what we can see through it settle in. Our first story is from the 1940s, just a couple of years before India's independence from Britain in 1947. Um, It involved one of my father's younger brothers, in fact, who at this time was a teenager. He was a normal boy who went to school, played cricket with his friends and brothers in the evening, got into all kinds of mischief that young teenagers do. Until one day, Upon his return from school, something changed. This change happened suddenly, without any warning. He began having what were thought to be epileptic fits and seizures. He also spoke gibberish, screamed and cried for hours. He deteriorated fast and soon he was in such bad shape that he couldn't go to school for six months. His parents scrambled, trying to find out what had happened to him. Something about his condition was quite scary. I mean, scarier than all the other sudden symptoms. His hearing seemed to have become almost superhuman. He knew things he should not have known. Once his parents were worriedly discussing his condition in hushed tones, maybe five rooms away from his in the large house where they lived... He screamed and screamed and said, stop talking about me. You don't know anything. He doesn't like it when you talk about him. He will kill you all. He? Who was he? His family was terrified and confused. Should they call a doctor or a Maulana, which is kind of a Muslim priest, they called them both. The doctors were confused as my uncle was displaying symptoms of many possible psychological conditions or whatever conditions they knew about in the 1940s but how could all of these conditions affect him simultaneously this was unprecedented upon seeing the maulana my young uncle began laughing loudly he mocked the holy man in his white beard and asked lewd questions about his wife using, surprisingly, her first name, familiarly. In those times, the cleric's wife lived a secluded life in Parda, with no interaction with men outside her family. No one in my father's family even knew what her first name was or who she was. The Maulana asked him who he was talking to, for he knew he wasn't talking to the respectful teenager he had known before. My uncle, who was not my uncle, laughed again. Finally, however, using prayers and persuasions, the secret was out. The boy, my uncle, had angered a jinn. Furious, the jinn had possessed him to punish him. But how? His parents asked. How could their 13 year old son have angered an ancient jinn? They asked his brothers and his friends, and along with cryptic clues given by the jinn itself, they cobbled together an account of what must have happened. My uncle, my father, his two other brothers, and some friends walked to school and back every day. Often, they cut through an old, decaying Muslim cemetery. One late afternoon after school, as they reached the cemetery, my uncle had to pee for some of my listeners let me tell you something about muslim cemeteries there are no grave structures no mausoleums and if there are headstones or plaques or grave markers they're rare small and unobtrusive muslims believe in becoming one with the dust with the dust sorry and in having modest graves that are left unmarked to signify the finality of death and the transitory impermanent nature of life in fact the prophet muhammad's own grave is unmarked and unadorned once your body dies you are gone leaving behind only memories for your loved ones the body is not important and should become one with the earth graves are dug six feet deep into the soil and the body wrapped in only white cloth is buried no embalming or anything It truly becomes dust to dust. Sometimes it's hard to tell where anyone is buried because the grave mounds sink into the earth leaving unremarkable looking patches of land, indistinguishable from others. They are also not maintained pristinely, unlike Western cemeteries, so often there are tall grasses and other unkempt weeds and plants that obscure the final resting places even more. In the absence of plaques or headstones or grave markers, it's very possible that you're walking on a grave in case you step off the path. Cemeteries are one of the places where our world and the other can sometimes meet, where we can sometimes look through to the other side. So anyway, back to my uncle. He really had to go and couldn't wait until they got home. While the others walked ahead, he stayed back and peed, then ran ahead to join them. His baffling symptoms appeared that very night. He had urinated on a location occupied by a jinn. Irate at this insult, the jinn decided to punish his transgressions by attacking his mind. The Maulana advised my uncle and his father to go to the cemetery for seven nights, light incense sticks, pray and recite the Fatiha, that is, the Muslim prayers for the deceased. Then each night, my uncle apologized and begged for forgiveness. Unsure it was going to work, they took his advice, forcing my uncle to go with them and do what needed to be done. On night number seven, his symptoms disappeared as quickly as they had started. He was free, forgiven. My uncle lived to the age of 80, married, had children, earned a PhD, and became a professor. He never had a recurrence of the symptoms that had kept him from normal life for so long. He had also never remembered anything of those six months. He wasn't even sure that those events had occurred. Clearly, jinns are not like genies popular in the West. Genies, the defanged, anglicized and cutesy, disnified version of jins are wish-granted, benevolent, maybe mischievous creatures. But jinns are more complex. Like humans, some are good, and some are not. Some can even be demons, part of Satan's army. Jins are powerful beings, way more powerful than humans. They are not immortal but they can live for a thousand years or more. They are often shapeshifters and tricksters, some even appearing as ghosts. They can possess humans like one did my uncle or simply haunt them. Simply haunt them. That sounds terrifying. Jinns exist in a parallel universe, around us, but invisible. They dwell among us, but unseen. Any door that opens or closes with no explanation, any bumps and creaks in the night, any strange presence, any visitation from a dead loved one, those are jinns. I know someone else who claimed to have been possessed by a djinn. He was having vivid dreams, dreams of leaving his life and running away. He dreamed of a woman He knew she was beautiful, even though he couldn't fully see her. But he longed to see her face. He was obsessed with seeing her face, even during his waking hours. His world had shrunk, bound on all sides by this need, this desire to see her, to find her, to be with her. Unable to sleep or work or do anything else, his desperate wife finally sought out a Muslim saint. The man walked into a darkened room with the shades drawn, hazy with incense smoke, the smell of roses permeating everything. The saint put the afflicted man in a trance after bidding him to to sit on the carpeted ground. The saint closed his own eyes and recited a few powerful verses from the Quran. Then he opened his eyes, stared at the man and asked in a stern voice, who are you? Why are you bothering this good man? From somewhere came laughter, a light, lilting, feminine sound. Who are you? he asked again sternly. A jinny, she said. A female jinn. The, fee- the saint asked again, Why are you bothering this good man? The jinni said she was with him precisely because he was a good man. Why? the saint asked. Because I like him, came the response in a high-pitched female voice. The saint prayed for days and nights. The man and his wife visited every evening. And finally, the jinni was drawn, was driven out. The saint gave the man a taviz. Um, These are Quranic verses written on a slip of paper that is blessed. It's folded tightly and placed into a tiny pouch. The newly liberated man wore this sacred amulet around his upper arm for the rest of his days. I never saw him without it. He truly believed his own body had merged with the spirit of a female jinn who had infected his dreams because she wanted him to leave his wife and family and be only hers. However, I have to say that we kind of made fun of this haunting, imitating the final voice of the jinn of the jinni because I like him. Today, as you might have guessed, we are exploring the hidden world of jinns. Stories of jinns abound in the Islamic world, and the Quran has detailed accounts of them. While jinns are associated with Islamic lore, um, there's strong evidence that their origins are pre-Islamic, meaning they were probably absorbed into the new religion. According to Islamic and really all Abrahamic faiths, humans are made of soil. The name Adam, in fact, means made of the earth. Jinns, however, were also created by Allah, but were made of fire. Not just any fire, the very tip of a flame, a smokeless fire. This doesn't mean that they are beings of fire or that they are fiery beings. It just means their origins came from fire in contrast to humans. Listeners, while I don't believe in the supernatural myself, at least I don't think I do, at least in the daylight, I am fascinated by stories about that world. I grew up with stories of jinns. I lived around people for whom jinns were as real as you and me. The phenomenon that other cultures and religions attribute to demonic possession, ghost haunting, zombies, and vampires, are all attributed to various types of jinns in the Islamic world. Though largely unseen, jinns delight in tormenting the God fearing, and especially those who spend a lot of time in prayer, especially when they are weak because of illness or ill health. I guess this is as good a reason to be an atheist as anything. I'm trying to avoid jinns by not being God-fearing or praying much. Anyway, we had some relatives who lived in an old, so by this I mean at least a hundred or more years old, sprawling house in another city. Like many traditional homes in India, this house was built around a central courtyard on the ground floor, and on the second floor, or the first floor if you're in other parts of the world and not the U.S., the the next floor over. I'm overthinking this. Anyway, on the next floor up, the courtyard was mimicked by a central terrace. So there were rooms arranged around an open terrace, just as on the ground floor, there were rooms arranged around, <clears throat> around an open courtyard. And on that um, upper floor is where the family spent a lot of time. And during the hot summer months, this is where most of them slept. The entire large terrace would be sprayed with water to cool it down. Then string cots festooned with mosquito netting were laid out, and the family would sleep under the stars. The cooler evening and night spent under the stars made for a pleasant slumber. The family matriarch and patriarch prayed five times a day, as all good Muslims are supposed to do, and spent a lot of time reading the Quran and being, I guess, goodly and godly. There are dozens of stories centered around this courtyard, so I'm just relating some of them that I've heard. This family coexisted with jinns. Almost every night, after the family settled in for the night, upstairs on the terrace, a ruckus would start up in the deserted downstairs. It sounded like someone was loudly dragging metal boxes and trunks around on the tiled floors. There would also be loud whispering. If anyone from the family was brave enough to head downstairs and investigate, everything would fall silent. The downstairs would be quiet, undisturbed, and pristine. Eventually, the family just accepted this as part of their routine. One of the boys of the family woke up in the middle of a night once to use the restroom. As he sat up, he found himself looking upon a a long, not just tall, long, long enough to span the breadth of the courtyard, a pale bearded figure lying on the floor next to his cot. They looked at each other for a long time and then the figure disappeared. Another time, one of the other family members woke up to see a similar long, pale, bearded individual watering the many flower pots that bordered the courtyard. She realized that she probably had forgotten to water the plants earlier. Later, when they all woke up, she checked, and sure enough, the soil in the pots was damp as if they had been freshly watered. Traditionally, this is what the jinns look like in their actual original form. They are long, slender, very pale and bearded. I guess the female jinns don't have beards, I guess. Could this be the origins of slender man? The family patriarch of this family um, had developed throat cancer. It was fast progressing and terminal. He was unable to eat anything except the softest food with no spice or salt. They lived in a large joint family and so one of his favorite granddaughters cooked all the meals for him. Soon he started complaining that his food was unbearably salty. It was impossible to eat. His wife tasted the food as well and it was indeed overly salty. The granddaughter insisted that she cooked his food separately from the rest of the family, and she put no salt in it at all. This continued happening off and on. Some days the food was fine. At others, it was overly salty. One day, his wife, the matriarch, was finishing her evening prayers, and she was still on her prayer mat that sat on a slightly elevated platform. The granddaughter had brought up the meal and she had set it on a table to cool slightly. As the grandmother glanced towards the table, she saw a hairy paw, unattached to a body, poised above the food, dumping salt into it. One of their resident jinns was obviously tormenting the godly man, perhaps able to launch an attack when he was physically and psychically weak at the end of his life. So these are jinns. Some are helpful, like the one watering plants. Some are disruptive. Others delight in tormenting the humans in whose homes they live. They are mysterious. They are terrifying, but not always. So kind of like humans, diverse. There are plenty of other jinn stories that I might bring you some other time. In the meantime, If you hear things that go bump in the night, if you sense something that isn't really there, take a deep breath and tell the jinns they are not welcome where you are. I think that'll help. It's worth a try, right? As always, this was Kissa, the story podcast. Listen to Kissa on Anchor, Audible, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. Your podcasts, your podcasts. Subscribe, rate, review, and tell your other story loving friends about Kissa, a story podcast. Until next week, story lovers.